Welcome back, my loves. I have a very special guest for you, Blake Eastman. He is the founder of the Nonverbal Group. He coaches high-performing leaders and teams, and he teaches people and machines how to read human behavior. I'm very excited to have you here, Blake. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, such a treat. So teach you teach people and machines how to read human behavior. My first thought is like, someone lie detecting, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's so much more, of course. Yeah. Share with me. So, you know, we're like body language 9.0. A lot of information about out there about like lie detection and communication is so basic. It's quite often wrong. So there's just like the, a lot of pop science information out there where it's like, oh, if you look to the left or if you yeah. look to the right or, you know, somebody covers their mouth or scratches their nose when they're lying. And uh, the origins of these are very basic, simplistic studies that are done in sort of this exploratory nature. And then some writer picks it up and then it becomes part of the cultural narrative. And in some ways... I love any kind of material that's advocating for a greater level of awareness or listening to people or connecting with people. The problem is with those types of information is they often shift people's perspective. So if somebody hears a quote expert say that uh, if somebody looks away that they're likely to be lying, then all of a sudden when they interview somebody for the first time and that person looks away, they go, I don't know, I I think they might be lying. Hmm. And that shifts their perspective. And human behavior, humans are really interesting in the sense that our perspective and view of reality can be so skewed based on prior information that I'm trying to, in a certain way, combat some of that material and some of that stuff. Yeah, we're easily swayed. Oh, yeah. Like, just the framing. I mean, that's the whole, that's marketing, that's copywriting. uh, That's the whole world we live in. That's um, experience design. Uh, I, I watched this really cool video on Instagram the other day that 10 years ago, Payless did this really cool, like I considered it to be a study, but it wasn't, it wasn't a study. It was like a, a marketing ploy where they invited a bunch of like world-class influencers to see this fake, uh, basically fake brand. And the brand was based on this Italian designer and it was like beautiful and it was all Payless shoes. Hmm. And they were selling $35 Payless shoes for like $645. Stop it. And everybody was so excited and so interested. Oh my God, these shoes are incredible. And then at the point of purchase, they told them that it was actually $35, right? So like in, in that is an example of, I, I, I say it, I don't know how to phrase this, but I say like, you, we're sort of sheep, human behavior, like we are. I am, everybody listening to this is in some way, shape or form. And when those themes and norms are directed in the right way, you create a reality. Mm. Hmm. And the perception of value oh, yeah. is really just a perception. I mean, perception and perspective is, it's one of those things that shifts from sometimes hour to hour. Like if, if all of a sudden somebody has, somebody's stressed, somebody hasn't slept, their view of the world is going to be a lot different than when they're fully rested kind of thing. So, uh, this notion of there being this one-to-one relationship with behavior, it's just not, 
It's not true. Sometimes you talk to somebody and they're looking around in 50 different directions right. and they're the most wonderful person in the world. And they're and not for, lying. And they're not lying to you. <laughs> and they're, they're just uh, more on some sort of spectrum or axes where they don't feel comfortable looking at people. Right. And as regard, and because of that, the problem is it has an impact on how society perceives you. Wow. So like we... We're studying that, and you know, like I spend a lot of time working with teams, and like I, I could watch on a Zoom call, I could tell you probably who is going to be, who's causing the most friction, and I do that based on looking for like si signals of social coordination. So a lot, what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of communication and behavior is not raw emotion or raw intention. It's coordination in social interaction. So, like for example, if you're in, if you're watching a presentation and you're shaking your head when the speaker's speaking, you're doing that for the benefit of the speaker, right. not for you. Because hmm. when you watch a movie, you don't shake your head, huh. right? Or when yeah. you watch, you just watch it. Yeah. But because it's a social landscape, you do these things. You shake your head, you nod, you laugh, you do all these things for the benefit of the other person. Right. You're acknowledging them. So what I found is that people that have low levels of social coordination tend to struggle in certain dynamics because they don't they don't give the cue. So if all of a sudden I'm just like sitting here and staring at you and not moving or anything, it's like, what is wrong with this person? <laughs> but the thing that's so cool is you have that perception because of the cultural context or the construct of when you talk to people, you're supposed to nod your head. You're supposed to show that you're interested. You're supposed to do all these things. And there's all these supposed tos that aren't written down anywhere, that don't exist anywhere. And if people don't understand how to navigate those, they really struggle in social interactions. Fascinating. How else does this apply to teams? Because that's, a, that's an interesting one. There can be one person in a company that brings the company down almost. You know, it just creates the atmosphere that just destroys it. A lot of time people, uh, they optimize for one thing and don't understand the impact of their behavior. So like a lot of leaders, uh, we're always trying to develop leadership, in my opinion, a leader should have the widest range of communication because of the things that they're going to deal with. So some people are really good at like assertion and rallying the team and all that, but they're not necessarily good on the softer side of leadership, which might be like showing empathy or showing somebody that they're really heard or listened to or all those things. But then it's always a struggle for me because like, if you really think about some of the world's greatest leaders and we can define greatest leaders as a byproduct of what their leadership created, mm -hmm. not of what people think about them. Yeah. Like Steve Jobs, I mean, absolute, not a hero of mine right. in the sense of actual, the interpersonal aspects of leadership, but a definite hero of mine. Like I'm a Apple, everything I use is Apple. I love Apple. But if you read that book, I mean, the Walter Isaacs, it's pretty wild. Some of the things he said and some of the constructs he created but you saw how impactful those constructs actually were. So my big thing is that I'll never tell anybody how to lead. I just make sure that they're in alignment with how they want to be perceived. So we do this exercise where I ask them to close their eyes and I say, imagine your funeral and everybody you've ever worked with is around you and they're, they're, they're having conversations. They're telling stories, they're having anecdotes, all that. What are the things that they're saying? Are they saying that they were there for me in a way that I never thought a boss was when I lost my father or mother, they were, whatever it actually is. So then we take that and we go through the whole process where we establish how they want to be perceived. And then it's my job to make sure that their actual behavior is in alignment with it. Love that. So some leaders say, listen, 
I'm here to make money. I want the people around me to also make money. And this isn't, I, I don't want to have a style where I'm friends with people. Okay, great. We can create that. Let's just say it up front, right? So a lot of the time people have things in their head that they're not actually communicating. And as a result, you have all these frictions and all these problems. So they're really, I've seen, I've seen people that, I mean, are pieces at work and, and they run the most effective teams. And I've seen other people who are completely opposite and they've run effective teams. There is no one way to the top of the mountain kind of thing. But you're saying communication of your style, what you expect is the key. Yeah. Is the alignment. Because like, who am I to tell somebody how to like, and that's the problem is when people copy, carbon copy other styles, it's not in alignment necessarily with how they want to be perceived. So they start coming across a little bit more assertive and they don't realize the impact of that. Um, and then there's all these other skill sets within like the ability to read your own team, the ability to understand the impact of your behavior and really understanding themes of motivation and what actually drives people. I mean, it was a big problem for me as an entrepreneur, I'd hire these like incredible people and I'd be like, why are you working for me? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> and they'd be like, I don't want your life. And I'm like, well, like, I don't want to deal with that responsibility and that stress. It's like, wow, interesting. People don't. And it's just a difference in perspective. Yeah. And I think that's something that people intellectually get, but don't really get at their core. They don't get that people are viewing the world differently. I mean, even just this room, like it, it, we're in this room right now we that white is probably slightly different to me or you mm, right. based on how we perceive the world. I mean, you talk to somebody who's colorblind and they're seeing something entirely different. Uh, so it's pretty cool. And you can change that perspective, right? Like you can go from, I don't, I just want to collect my paycheck to, I want to run my own company because you find something you're passionate about. So that's what's, that's what I love about human behavior and people is a hundred percent. Like you, with work, you can change how you perceive and view the world. So there's this model uh, called predictive processing, which is what we base a lot of our stuff on in the sense that the way our, it's too computationally taxing to recreate dynamics. So what the brain's doing a lot of the time is it's predicting. Yeah. So we're, you ever use those like fun word things where you say, get me a cup of blank. And people would be like, well, coffee, coffee. water, tea, right? <laughs> right? All that stuff. Yeah. But no one's going to say, get me a cup of rhinoceros because huh. it doesn't fit into that construct. Right. So we're constantly predicting because it's easier to conserve energy when we're predicting. But the problem with that, and I'm extrapolating from this to talk about human dynamics. It doesn't really necessarily work like this, but it's a good metaphor for understanding it. Um, you're doing the same thing in a social interaction. So you meet someone and they rub you the wrong way. They rub you the wrong way based on a prior model of that predictive processing. You don't really know the person. Uh, like, you, don't, you, don't, you meet somebody that has a vocal tonality and you're just like, oh, I don't like them. Like, you have to be hyper aware of those filters because they're not grounded in reality. They're grounded in your perception and your sort of worldview and all of that. And... I mean, this is where we get really nuanced in the world of like instinct. And like, I've had a lot, I had somebody that said that, um, so I felt really bad. So someone sent me an email once and he was like, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback that I'm the kind of person that would shoot up a school, right? Like, 
I'm like, okay, like, oh. what do you, like, that's terrible, right? right. Like, <laughs> to be perceived that way. Like, and, and that was the joke in high school. Like, that was, he, he was a quiet, unassuming, and he sent me a couple of pictures of himself. And I gave him, like, really instructive feedback in the sense that, like, he had a constant downward head tilt. So he would look at people like that. Oh, yeah. And he had a low level of facial reactivity. He had all these things that are just, society doesn't like it. There's nothing wrong with that person. It's just society doesn't like it. So he would need to learn to reverse engineer some of those patterns and do a couple of things to break through to that. So it's really, that's why I like a lot of the sentiment analysis stuff where they say like, you're happy or you're smiling. It's nonsense. I mean, the face can move in so many different ways. A lot of it is relative to the person and then relative to the environment. So sometimes like, uh, for example, like a conversation, a social conversation in Finland, if you take a conversation in LA between two people and ask people in Finland what they think about that conversation, they're going to think like, why are they being so fake and phony? Yeah. If you take a conversation from Finland and interject into LA, they're going to be like, what's wrong with that person? Like, why, why aren't they connecting? Why, <laughs> why aren't they, they right? Like, yeah. yeah. So, and it's a, it's a cultural <laughs> construct. It's, I think about Israelis. I'm like, why are they fighting? They're like, yes. no, they're just talking. Perfect example. <laughs> yeah. Like Israeli, Israeli behavior, right? Yeah. Like, like, uh, <laughs> uh, proxemics are different mm-hmm. in Israel. Talk very close. Yeah. And if you were to look from like a uh, hundred feet away, you'd be like, oh my God, they're going to hit each other. Yeah. And like, no, they're brothers. They're just working something out. Yeah. And the problem is if you don't get the cultural constructs, you're not going to be able to make the appropriate, the correct read in that dynamic. Uh, right. And that's what a lot of people do because they're just seeing it from their world. Uh, so sometimes like one of the ways of learning it is like, yeah, what are the cultural constructs here? Uh, and there's, we say the word cultural construct, but there's like a cultural construct that's bigger. And then there's a social construct. And then there's like norms that are, there's norms of podcasting mm-hmm. of like how one person should show up and how like there's, where do they come from? I don't know, the amount of podcasts that me and you have been on, we couldn't even write them down. It would be so long. And, but this is, this is our social world uh, is they're in those layers. I love it. Bring it back to teams because you said before you, you support leaders in reading their teams. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? So <laughs> a lot of the time it looks like me going through zoom videos. So prior to COVID, uh, we'd actually go into offices and set up. I had this really cool tissue box that was a, a tissue box with four GoPros in it. And it was like one way mirrors. Nice. So I, I'd put it in a meeting and record everybody and then like highlight it and go over it. But now Zoom makes everything easy. So a lot of the time, what I'll do is uh, for some of the people that I work through, work with, all their Zoom meetings are like automatically processed. And then I'm able to like glance through and look through and making sure that they're in alignment, but also showing them Juan did not like that. Like this person did this, this person did that. Like there's all these signs that people usually can't see because it's very cognitively demanding to be able to read a room at the same time, structure your communication, come across a certain way. It's not an easy skill set. So sometimes after it's much easier for them. And we'll go through and highlight, but a lot of the time it's based on what they created. So for example, like work with a leader who says, listen, I want to lead by example. I want a coaching style of leadership. I don't want to tell people what to do. And then I look at the Zoom meeting. I'm like, here are 17 instances of where you told them what to do. Let's get the 17 down to five, get down to zero. Like, so it's all like using behavior as a guiding metric for changing how you want to be perceived. And how I know I'm as successful is like, my favorite thing is when the team, like you'll say like, you're different. 
Like, huh. you've changed so much. Like, what's going on? Huh. And it's like, okay, that's we know we've done something right. Love it. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, video is, I, I recommend everyone here, um, in a world of so many different perspectives that are so based on everybody's societal norms and predictive processing and all that, video is the only central point of truth. Like, all it is, it's raw data. That's it. That's all it is. So when I say I'm teaching machines to read human behavior, yeah. I'm teaching machines to process the context of behavior within the norm that it is. It's like infinitely complex. Um, but the first step is taking physical movement and breaking it down to actual raw data, which we've pretty much solved. Wait, but if you have this complex layer of uh, a social dynamics, right, of like an Israeli versus a, mm-hmm. an L.A. person, or right, like how, how do you teach the machine that... So that's where it's complex. <laughs> There's some cultural so differences. The first phase is like the data, inge- like transforming to data, which we've pretty much solved. Um, and then we have a bunch of models that will train it. So there'll be a cultural model where we extrapolate how behave. Really what we're doing is not teaching the machine to truly read a person. We're teaching the machine to read a person with an alignment with the societal structure. So what we can do is, like for example, I could show um, 10,000 people clips of videos and have them rate the quality of each video. And then I could look for themes and patterns in people's behavior that this is how society will read you. It's not what's actually going on. Uh, what's actually going on is I think we'll get there in like 10, 15 years uh, for sure. I think that they'll – but you need data on the person. But I think what's going to happen is I think a we're we're going into a a world where privacy is just not going to exist. It's it's I don't think it's going to be possible. Like we're seeing that at every level. Um, you will for sure walk past an ad one day, and the ad will dynamically shift and say like I know you've been thinking about this a lot, but <laughs> like it's time to actually purchase. Like <laughs> that stuff is coming. Wow. I mean, we volunteered it. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm at the point now where I'm I'm like. But I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself to be, like, privacy is such an interesting thing. I, I consider myself to be like a private person. Like there's nothing that I've written this week or this year, I think, via text message that I wouldn't mind sharing with people mm. with the caveat that they understand the context that it's in. Mm. Right? Right. Like there's, there's a context. And if you pull the context out, it's right. like Blake's a racist or right. Blake's a this or Blake's a that. or Right? Blake, right? Like so. Yeah. But we're not, our society is not, they don't care about context. They care more about the like quick one, two, A, B, C. Like, and that, I'm trying to combat that. Like there's shades of gray everywhere. Hmm. And without understanding the shades of gray, you don't really, wh- who's the name of the comedian? Um, British comedian, like a uh, public speaker. He was in Forgetting Sharon Marshall, Russell Brand or something, right? Like he did this phenomenal thing where like he went on all the Fox 5 News stuff and you could see like in all the videos like we have way more in common than we have apart. The problem is people start with what we don't have in common. Mm -hmm. So they start the conversation with what we, what's the one issue that we really disagree on and it shifts everything. The reality is most people are probably going to agree on like 80% of things Mm -hmm. and they're going to really not agree on 20%, which is fine. Right. But you got to create that that base and sometimes people's behavior doesn't allow people to create that base because they like block the person off or quick. Yeah. We're, we're, and that's 
so I've like this whole thing of like, like Blake's theory of like adaptive survival. Like if you think about, we need these mechanisms. They're, they're designed to keep us alive. Right. So for example, like if somebody, if a, a 22 year old male and female were on a first date and they're sitting there and they're having a conversation and somebody walks in with not, a, they don't know they have a knife but they walk in and their face is extremely aggressive. Both of those people are able to identify that that's a potential threat in a second. Right. Yet those two people will have a conversation and can't pick up on the subtleties of that. She likes me or he likes me. Or I think, right. So our, our, there's something about our ability to read behavior that is still grounded in not what we need right now. Like there are, we were in the most complex social dynamic we've ever been in. Why? Because of all the issues in our ecosystem, right? Like just, just saying male and female to some people would be triggering in a certain dynamic. Well, gender's not male or female, gender's on a spectrum, okay. Like there are all these different things that are existing in people's worlds that you're, and some people would argue like it's gotten to a crazy level that it's very difficult to navigate, but that's kind of what it is. So you'd think that humans would become more sensitive, but in a lot of ways, I think we've become less sensitive to behavior and the people that are sensitive are able to navigate these systems very well. Mm. And these are the people that have just like social interactions are effortless or they're able to like speak to this person differently versus this person. Like they're definitely out there. Um, people that have like natural aptitude for this stuff, but like, we're trying to use technology and training to democratize that skill set and make it available to as many people as possible. Make that link for me. How will the how will it support by showing what my own personal behavior is going to be read as, or vice versa, or like supporting me in seeing reading others? Yeah, both. So okay. like the, both of those, and then the third part is really like understanding the mechanics of human behavior. It's like, why are we so tribal? Like, what's that about? So for me, it was interesting. Like, I, I remember my friend was hysterical crying. He cried more when the, uh, the Mets lost this one game <laughs> than he did when his own mother passed away, right? Oh. Like, it was, and granted, like, that's an example. Like, when people hear that, they think that he's, a, no. Mm -hmm. He just processed his mother's death in a weird way yeah. that's not aligned with society. Right. So he didn't cry for nine months, and then he had a really weird uh string of depression that was linked back to his mother's death, which he never processed. Right? People right, are complex. Right, right, yeah. But like, I was like, what's your deal? Like, I couldn't relate to that. It's like, why do you care that much? Mm. And it's like, there is a tribalism and you, there's no way there isn't because like Democrat and Republican and like, we just tend to cluster into these groups. Mm. And there's certain things about that that you need to understand because we tend to make humans wrong. But I was like, no, it's kind of our programming. It's kind of like what we do. Like there's a, there's a, an origin to gossip. There's an origin to all of these things. Like, oh, you know, we're connected. We're not part of that sort of yeah, group yeah. of society. Like, yeah. we're we're in the know, that kind of thing. Um, and if you don't get that, you're not able to see people like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. And I think there's something special about it. Like, oh, that makes sense. It makes sense why you're so resistant to change. How can you have more discernment though? Because I think of myself as uh, super intuitive and I've moved all my life every year and a half. So I've always been the new girl. So I knew how to break the mm, ice and I, cool. I, I feel like I know how to read people. But how do I know if that's true or if I'm just thinking you're a certain way because of someone in my past? There is, 
you're never 100% accurate, but you're probably way more accurate than the average person. And think of it this way. The way you read people, people think it's like a laser, but it's more of like a flashlight. Like, so you're not, so you see somebody, you're having a conversation and you're, you're, you have a hypothesis or you're like, I think they might be offended what I'm, what I just said. Yeah. But you have like vocal tonality and you're very expressive. So you're able to deal with that in a way that shifts the person. You don't actually know that they were offended or what, you're not a hundred percent sure, but you sort of cleaned it up behaviorally yeah. to keep the conversation aligned. Right. So you're never right, but people are right more than they're wrong. And if they're willing to speak up, they're probably going to be a better community. Like, so for example, I was walking uh, here in Austin and some kid was crossing the street, walking to the sandwich store, right? And I said, he for sure works there. Hmm. I was just, I was, I was willing to bet large amounts of money that he worked there. And it, it was something about, like, he just looked down and it was kind of like just that, that another day of work. Huh kind of look and he walked in and immediately he put his apron on and so on and so forth and it's like if I were to do that a thousand times it's like how accurate would I be I don't know hopefully I would like to think like 80 85 95 but the reality is that the way you improve your accuracy is the feedback loops so most people in life aren't getting good feedback loops because they don't ask Good communicators and people who are comfortable asking, they get the feedback loops. Asking what? Asking like, uh, for example, it's like, hey, is everything okay? Yeah. Like, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah. I'm like, are you sure? Because you don't look like everything's okay. And they're like, well, let me tell you why, right? It's like, okay, good. I got the feedback loop. Got I got it. the feedback loop. So I've always been, I think for me, I grew up with a lot of social anxiety when I was a kid and always wanted to know the reason why. So I was, I was very, like, I need to know the reason why someone's acting a certain way. So if I, if, if I have somebody at a party or somebody in a social interaction and I've met them, I've known them for like 10 times, I've met them 10 times, and they're, I, I process their behavior as weird, I'll get to the bottom of it. Mm. Hey, man, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, well, why? Like, is there something I said? Or like, what's going on with you? And it allows me to establish those feedback loops quicker. So the cool thing about the studies that we do is we have the feedback loops. So we know like how the person's perceiving certain things, what's going on, so that we can help people establish the comfort quicker. But that's what, I think that's the gift. I mean, I, this is all my theory, but like I think that's the gift of certain individuals. They, they have the confidence, and you're one of those, right? Like they have the confidence to like deal with it. Mm -hmm. So you're able to get that data back where other people are like, I don't know. I think they just hate me. <laughs> you know? I do it because it's mentally relieving. Otherwise, That's I'm going to ruminate in my yeah. head of like, why doesn't she like me? <laughs> so that, that was exactly my, yeah. my thing. Like, uh, or even like earlier on with like dating when I was younger, like it, I couldn't, it was very distracting. Like I'd just be in these loops over and over yeah. again thinking about the dynamics. So I started to be like, I'm always going to put it in the other person's camp. Yeah. I'm never not going to say it. I'm always going to be hyper clear about things. And that choosing that definitely had a profound change in my life. Cause I think I made the decision when I was like 19 or something nice. like that. Yeah. Otherwise your brain fills in the gaps with whatever. Because that's the problem. Yeah. You I call them social frictions. Uh. Just create these realities of like, this person said this, and I don't think they like... People don't really care about you. That's my big thing. Uh, like, everybody cares about themselves. 
in these social dynamics, like the whole notion of caring, like when you, when you leave a party or a dynamic and you're like, I had a conversation with Tina and she, I don't know. And I'm afraid when I said that I offended her, they're thinking about themselves. Like I had a conversation with this, I have a conversation with that. And that's kind of what ends up happening is you live in this distorted social world of your own perspective. It's true. We yeah. are we are really in our own heads. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's where we live. But. <laughs> I remember I did a I did like this really cool informal little study of this at when I was a professor. I uh, I had probably hundred and eighty ish students at the time, and at the time I was wearing uh, a pair of like these J Crew slacks that were very comfortable. They were like stretchy, and mm-hmm. I'm somebody that's like extremely tactile. So like I need to have like comfortable. I mm-hmm. cannot be not comfortable. Yeah. So um, I had all these other pants, and I didn't want to. W- I wanted to wear those pants over and over again because it's most comfortable. So I started just wearing them, and I wondered if my students picked it up. So I wore the same pants, I think for two weeks straight, the same pants, and then at the end of the two weeks, I like, I asked the class and asked about the pants. I said, what about me has changed and not changed? And out of the 180 people, nobody, everybody picked weird things. Huh. Like, oh, you seem to be a little bit more energetic. Like, you seem to be this, this. One person in the class said, you really like the pants. He worked at J. Crew, <laughs> So he noticed the J. Crew pants, but didn't make the assumption that I was wearing the same, same one. Ones, he yeah. made the assumption that I had bought five of those things. You must own like six pants. Cause <laughs> you, and I was like, in that moment, it was just such a cool experience where it's like, yeah, people don't really see things like that. Like, no. they don't. Doesn't. We spent oh, so much time worrying about why, what other people think. Yeah. And the, and the whole joke is we spend so much effort worrying what people think instead of getting to the bottom of what people truly think yeah. and really like connecting with each other. And that's one of the big barriers for connection for some people is that they're so in their head. That's why like the first step for reading behavior isn't learning. Like, well, if your hands move this way or that way, the first step for actually learning is being able to see your own biases if I get somebody who's socially anxious and they're going to be in a social dynamic, they're not, they're not seeing reality. Mm. They're seeing some other sort of version of reality that's grounded in anxiety. So they're probably more prone to be seeing like, oh, uh, this person doesn't like me or this person doesn't this. Sometimes it's just weird artifacts on people's faces. Hmm. Like, I mean, I, I, I've had people that I literally have sat in my class for like four hours and just stared at me <laughs> just like this without any head nods, any nothing. <laughs> And then at the end of the classes, like I used to do these things where I was like tell people like certain reads about that. I was like, we need to talk because I know you're very interested in the class, but I didn't get that. He's like, no, this was amazing. Like I'm so interested. I'm like, you you have to coordinate. You gotta shake your head. You gotta not. You gotta do certain things because other people. I'll tell you. I'll tell you my favorite story. So I was teaching psychology, and I had this student who at the end of the at the end of the term he failed my final. Now typically. In, in at CUNY, you were kind of like supposed to fail a person if they fail the final. Like it just, it was one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is that the Board of Regents ever to look back at the tests, like how did this person pass when they failed the final? And he got like a 52 or something like that. So he comes up and I'm like, listen, I found some points for you. I'm going to pass you because I, I love you. You're a great student. And he kind of looked at me weird. And I said, why are you looking at me like that? And he's like, you don't remember? And I was like, remember what? He's like, you taught me that. 
And the whole thing was he had taken my class the first year I taught ever. And at the end of the class, I taught a class on like how to hack education and perception. And one of the things I said was like, even if you're not interested and you don't care about anything, every once in a while, tilt your head, nod and write something down like you are interested because professors are fundamentally biased and they're definitely going to have that perception. So he over calibrated in the entire class. He just stared at me and like, <laughs> like, so I assumed that he loves me and everything that he said. But in reality, he was a Marine, got sent away, came back six years later. I had completely forgotten and that skewed my perception. And I was just like, my mouth dropped and I was just like, Oh my God. He's like, yeah, I do it all my classes now. It was a great piece of, a uh, great tip. Wow. So something that I talk, I wasn't even able to navigate. Like I didn't say like, oh, he's manipulating. My kid loves my class. That's an interesting point though. Like what you said, you got to shake your head. And if you're doing it for the other person. Well, this is where we get to the whole world of what's manipulation and what's uh-huh. not manipulation. So like, in a social dynamic, if all of a sudden I feel somebody's a little bit uncomfortable and they talk about something that, is interesting, but on a scale from one to 10, maybe it's a three interesting to me. Right. But I show it's a seven interesting to me to make them feel comfortable. Yeah. Is that manipulation? Uh, Yes, but with the intent of making somebody feel better. But, oh, yeah. I mean, you're any person that is socially adapted, whether they realize it or not, is highly manipulative in the sense that they can use their behavior as a tool for optimizing what they want to be. And this is this is con artists, right? Like, but there are also people out there that just make people feel good. Yeah. They're not con artists, they're like happiness artists or whatever. You know? So it's it it is tricky though. And sometimes I like teaching people that are very literal that they need to shake their head. Like I don't understand like what they're saying is not interesting. Like why do I need to shake their head? And I'm like, okay. And sometimes I have to do it within alignment with how they want to be. I'm like, all right, just we could do whatever you want. Just understand that if you look and stare at people for an entire 30-minute Zoom meeting, you're not going to be liked. Are you okay with that? Huh. No, I'm not. Okay, so let's, let's interject certain things. And there's a big difference between nodding your head nonstop. Like also people nod their head as a mechanism for not listening. So like sometimes I'll see people who like nod their head and you could – you literally uh, via – VR systems, you can see like it's rhythmic. Like every six seconds, they nod their head. Like they're not listening. They're just using the head nodding as a coordination that they are listening. So then we start to see that like after 40 minutes of the conversation, they start rapidly head nodding and it it gets a little bit more. That's kind of how you know. Spontaneous behavior, it's not predictable. Where like social coordinating behavior, it is. Like you can kind of, I literally have people that like nod their head every six seconds, every 6.4. It's like so accurate. It's weird. It's like that just, okay, okay. And then also like on head nodding, think about how that impacts you. If you listen to what I'm saying right now and you start head nodding throughout the entire Zoom meeting, that's going to have a perception of you. That impacts power dynamics. Because you can actually like not nod your head as an indication of saying that like I'm the most powerful person. I don't need to show that. Yeah. Like, oh man, there's just yeah. so much nuance yeah. here. And uh, people treat it like it's not. And yeah. it, it's a nuanced world. And it, it, it begins with seeing your own behavior and, and slowly interjecting it. It's kind of like an artist that's going to like paint their experience. You're trying to use behavior to do the same thing. But it's by no means uh, simple. No. Amazing. I want to bring it back to the CEO or the leader uh, who desires to motivate his mm-hmm. team to produce more. Um, how do you communicate your style in a way that would be supportive 
of both you getting your needs met and the team feeling heard, seeing all the things? First and foremost, you tell them. So we start off every engagement with like what I, and I think every time you onboard somebody mm. onto a team, you should tell them. Okay. So, uh. so for example, uh, when I onboard people, I am pretty design, I have a, a very critical eye about certain things. So like if someone gives me back something and the font's off, it will bother me. Right. So how can that be? That could also be like perceived as Blake focus. He's micromanages. He focuses on the details that don't matter. So what I start off by saying, especially anybody in the design side, I'm like, I'm hypercritical of these things. I don't mind if you spend an extra three hours getting the font spacing and kerning to the way that looks good. And the reason why this is so important is I'm working on it. It's something I'm trying to deal with, but I won't feel comfortable releasing this mm. and really pushing it until visually it fits for me. Right. So yeah. I give them the context so they understand so it's not just annoying. Right. Like, all right, Blake's being Blake. I got it, Blake. Don't worry. I'll, I'll fix it. And like, okay, good. Perfect. So most people don't communicate the context, right? Like, and there's a way of communicating, here's the reason why I'm so assertive or angry or whatever about this specific things. A lot of, this is also the big difference between working with like an entrepreneur CEO and a CEO CEO. So like a CEO gun for hire, they don't have these issues at all. They don't. They just come in there. Their job is to align the, align the company. Like they don't, entrepreneur CEOs, oh my God. They're more hard involved. Uh, yeah. More hard involved. This is my, you know, they use language like this is my baby. It's yeah. not your baby. It's a company. <laughs> it's not your child. You, you have a child. So you're telling me right now that if, if, if I shot your child in the head and shot your company, like it's completely different. Uh, yeah. It's completely different. What do you mean? And they're like, yeah, I see that. So like the language creates that. But yeah, entrepreneur CEOs, and I, I get them too because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. But that, I gave a, I gave a present. I was at somebody's annual I was one of my client's annual sales meetings or, uh, yeah, they got the whole executive team together and I, I communicated to the team that like, you don't understand you're working for an entrepreneur CEO and that's why you're rallying around him and that's why you, you love it, but you're also working for an entrepreneur CEO. So with that comes yeah. all these other types of things. Just go there, please. What's so the for example, entrepreneurial CEOs will not always be good at direction, right? Like in a certain way, like here's the direction that we're taking the company mm. uh, and you'll see them shift way more than non-entrepreneurial CEOs mm. because a lot of those decisions are grounded in them, right? They're not grounded in like, we genuinely want to get to 100 million and sell this company. It's, we want to get to 100 million and look good. We want to get to, in this, like for example, for me, like if I wanted to just make money, and that was the pure, oh, I mean, it would just be like body language tip for this, body language tip for that. But there's a way that I want to be perceived personally. Right. And a way I want the company to be perceived perfectly. That, that's a limiting factor towards making money, right? It's a limiting factor towards how I hire people, how I organize team. Like there's just way, the accountability structure is way different, which is why like all entrepreneur CEOs like need coaches. Like I have like three coaches, <laughs> I coach others and I coach them on communication, not necessarily the business side of things, but you see it come up in communication. Yeah, of course. You see like the themes and the narrative and the things that they're saying. And that's one of the reasons why my coaching is really different because we use their data. So like I'll say that you said the word my baby 66 times this month. 
in Zoom meetings. <laughs> oh my god! And that's what they'll do. They'll like they're like, no, I didn't. I was like, here you go. Here's yeah, every click. instance where you said my baby. <laughs> so it's like really, we're trying to sell this company. How you're not going to sell your baby? Uh, you don't really want to sell this company. That's what's going on right now. And you're aligning everybody like you do, but deep down inside, it's your baby. <laughs> you're right. Okay, I'm I'm al- I'm connecting it to like buying a house where you want to take the emotions out of yeah. it, right? And just look at the home. Is this a wise investment? But is taking the heart out of your business? It's probably sometimes wise and sometimes not. I I mean I don't think it's possible. Like <laughs> uh, it's just right. it's, if it's just, your baby. <laughs> it's just not right. Like, and I think you know becoming. A lot of the ways we make decisions is emotion that sort of helps us, right? Like all, it's a protective mechanism in a right. lot of ways. The problem is a lot of people don't notice when they're making a decision that's based on emotion versus based. It's really all about alignment. You got to get very clear at what you want, what's the direction that you want to go, and then notice when certain emotions and certain themes are veering you off that direction. So it's like, okay, the the goal was to sell the company. That's what we're doing over this next two to three years. The, but you use the word my baby 67 times or whatever it is, right? Um, let's see how that theme prevents us from accomplishing that goal. And let's make sure we reconstruct the narrative that this was your first baby and you're giving your way a baby to grow to an adult. Uh, one thing I heard that I really loved once was um, in order for something to truly grow, I wish I knew who said this. In order for somebody something to truly grow, you have to sometimes give it away. And I feel like it's like that with entrepreneurs and with the companies and stuff like that. You build it to a certain point and you're not the person to take it to the next level yeah, yeah. because you're too close, because you're all those things. It's time to just give it away to the universe, right? Like, yeah. And let somebody else sort of take the mantle. And But that that's what I meant about that third part. Like read behavior, uh, control your own behavior, but understand what's driving others. Like that's the special part because like I'll look at somebody like I'm I'm pretty good at hot seats you know you go to masterminds hot seats because you're like looking for the nuance I'm like you don't want to sell your company yeah. I can tell you don't because of those patterns of behavior and then like really don't and then sometimes it's like you know what I don't want to sell my company I love it I love what I do okay so then let's stop going there because it's a cultural narrative that like selling is the next step you're making tons of money you're happy you got a great life yeah. what's this obsession with selling the company. Huh. And that's like mimetic desire and all these other things that come up. Um, but yeah, sometimes humans are just, we're just like chickens with their heads. Like nobody <laughs> understands anything. <laughs> I love it. All right. So what's happening at Nonverbal Group? So right now, um, we have two companies basically. We have Nonverbal Group and Behavioral Robotics. So Behavioral Robotics is doing like the hard tech stuff. Uh, nonverbal Group is doing more of the consulting and course building. Um, I mean, speaking about entrepreneurs, this is kind of like the conversations I've been having this week. It's like, should I drop everything I'm doing and really build a tech company? Like, is that what I, sh- the direction, it, but not really in alignment with the lifestyle stuff that I want, right? Mm. So sort of having that back and forth, but we're focusing on building really high level social skills courses. So the I think the difference about what we do is we built the first program that allows you to talk to people. And after you have a conversation, our analytics break down everything. 
And then the person gives you feedback and you give feedback for the person. And what it allows me to do is see trends and themes. Mm. So normally I have to go in and watch video, but our software now can tell us like, you might be problematic because low level of facial displays or because of tonality shifts or because of all these things. So it allows give me people to give like a high level of social feedback in a very short period of time. Fantastic. So that's like, um, that's what we're working on a lot now. And then just doing a bunch of stuff with um, machine learning and, like I spend time like, like that, like you, you just had it like a slightly <laughs> asymmetrical smile. Like how do you categorize that? Huh. Like, and how do you label that? And how do you, like, that's kind of what most of my day looks like is like using Python, a bunch of like tools to figure out how to compute. Cause that's the thing with press problem. Like our, our software creates an insane amount of data. And you could train the machine to look for themes, but at the end of the day, like machine learning is only as good as the, the data is and as the labels are. So you got to be really careful because like think, you know how many smiles, like how do you, like this is the question, like how do you operationally define a smile? Mm. Well, like one thing you can take two facial plans dots on the corners of your lips right here and whenever they turn up from baseline, you could say that's a smile. Right. That's my definition of a smile. But that's not really a smile because huh. like if I socially went like, Mm-hmm. And just like and nodding, smirk, you. it's yeah. like that smirk, yeah. like, oh, yeah, like, hi, <laughs> right? So there's all these different things that you have to sort of right. think about. To, yeah, and it's it's really just a nuanced discussion, but it's a fun puzzle. Like, it's yeah. it's really cool. Uh, we're, we're out of time, but I, I did want to real quick tap on this concept of uh, teenagers being on their cell phones and not uh, mm-hmm. getting the facial recognition mm-hmm. that they used to with face-to-face interaction. How do you feel about that? I don't, it's, so it's so tricky. Cause like on one side, I am definitely like a hardcore technologist. And on the other side, hmm. I'm kind of this like uh, purist who believes you should dissociate from technology kind of thing. Right. Like, and I believe that teenagers are going to be teenagers. So a lot of the problem is this parents look at teenager behavior and they say, it's these phones. When in reality, teenagers have a good mechanism where they're supposed to get away from the parents so they could develop their own level of independence. Right. This is part of, you want your kid to not like you as a teenager, <laughs> right? Yeah, like I know a lot of parents struggle with it, but that's ultimately what you do uh, want. You want to foster their own independence. Yeah. The problem is the tools of the phones are everywhere. So their independence is a byproduct of them looking at, at their phone and doing whatever they want. Mm. When in reality, like I do, th- I do think that there is going to be certain social challenges and certain social problems. But some of these teenagers get nuanced better than the adults. Hmm. Like they do. Like, and I, I am less concerned about our generation. I, what, I, what I am concerned about is I don't think we've gotten, in America at least, like we're, we've gotten softer as a society. Things are easy. Things are cushy. So sometimes people are focusing on problems that, while great, we just need problems to focus on. I think that's more of a problem mm. than like iPhone because iPhones are not going away yeah. and technology is not going away. Right. So the people that are able to use it, they're going to do really well. So if right. anything, I would, I would um, advocate. advocate for <laughs> the greater use of technology, but at the same time, understanding healthy balances yeah, and the yeah. fact that like, you know, we don't, we don't bring our phone to bed. Like right. I have all these processes to make right. sure that I'm not connected to 
technology. But we, I don't know, 20 years from now, we might be having the same exact conversation with the same level of detail with something wearing on our head. You're in Israel and yeah. I'm here. I'm like, let's catch up. Yeah. And you're like, this is absolutely crazy. Right. Like, this is like the conversation that we, like, that's what technology is allowing us to do. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, I just got a great visual of that. Like wearing the, the, VR glasses and you're st- sitting yeah. next to the person. I mean, in the, I'm a big Disney World fan, right? And you know, in Epcot, there's that ride, the yeah. Tomorrowland or whatever yeah. it is called. When you go through it, it's like, and in the future, you'll be, t- uh, teachers will be, te- it's what it is now. Yeah. And it's better than what it is in that ride. I don't know why they don't update that ride. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're trending in a cool direction. I love it. All right. Last question. Uh, it's my favorite one mm-hmm. to ask all my guests. Um, if little six-year-old Blake were sitting next to you right now, what would you say to him? Oh, this is the thing that, this is the one thing that makes me cry. Oh. in like uh with coaches like regression like going back to times in your life and giving advice that was the one time i just broke down oh. like uh, my 20 something year old self six year old self oh that's a good age um hmm. you have a tendency to be very like obsessed and fixated on things there's nothing wrong with that follow that passion like that will be your biggest success so I'd go in directions and like obsess over puzzles and obsess over this or like I am the person I am today because of that obsessive quality. And I think when I was younger, I made it like wrong. Yeah. Like I had to go like, no, you should be focusing on this or you should be focusing on that. Like, no, 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 no. Keep doing that. Love it. Yeah. Beautiful. Ah, uh, Blake, thank you so much. How thank can people find me. you for your coaching? Uh, nonverbalgroup.com. We have a newsletter that goes out every Monday. Nonverbalgroup.com slash newsletter. That kind of will update you on all the content I release and stuff that I do. Awesome. Cool. Thank you very much for sharing all of that. It was such a blessing. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Very good.